Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I, Allison, where, did you, where did you come from, Greg? <laughs> I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. <laughs> A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts and, of dirty stuff, yeah. but also parenting stuff. Yeah. So check out Childish new episodes every Wednesday wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm very excited about my guest today. She is a licensed therapist and a very prolific YouTuber. She has over a million subscribers. She's done, we'll find out, but like thousands of videos. Um, she's also the author of Are You Okay? A Guide for Caring About Your Mental Health. And she hosts two podcasts, Ask Katie Anything, which I have been on, and Opinions That Don't Matter. It's Katie Morton. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on the show. Um, I, so as I was saying, I was a guest on your podcast, and we answered questions and talked about a bunch of stuff. But I, I feel like I don't know your backstory at all. And I'm so curious mm. how, like, what drew you to mental health and what drew you to make YouTube videos and all of that. But first, the question that I had mm. mentioned, how many videos have you done? Oh, God, probably 1500. Wow. Something like that. Maybe more someone else might, you know, I mean, if you're counting podcasts, then, you know, it starts to grow exponentially. Right. But on my Katie Morton channel, I, I would guess around 1500. I feel like what you do is very special and rare in that it seems to me most therapists don't also, I mean, I guess, the, like, there aren't that many therapists on YouTube, are there? No, there are more than there used to be. So I started YouTube back in 2011. And as far as I know, someone can totally correct me if I'm wrong. I was the, f the first, <laughs> like totally the first person of the party. Not always the best, but it was um, people are like, what are you doing? I was that weird aunt. You know, I was like, I don't know what she does. That's weird. She's very strange. Um, but now there are more. There mm -hmm. are definitely at least like three or four that I know of personally. And I'm also on TikTok, which is like a new thing for me. And I, I love TikTok. I'm not gonna lie. And there's other like therapists, counselors, psychologists on there, too. So, so it's, it's a whole new world. Are there therapists who feel like you shouldn't be doing that like old school therapists who are like it just should take place in an office and you shouldn't be revealing anything about yourself personally yes i've gotten some pushback it's more it's more the older people mm -hmm. um i think i'd probably get more pushback if they were on youtube like if people even older people <laughs> even engage with youtube um but i have received some pushback over the years around like well you shouldn't tell people that there needs to be a treatment plan in therapy or it just doesn't always have to be goal oriented you're leaving out a whole swath of and i'm like you should always be working i just don't agree i'm like that's okay you have your thoughts i have mm -hmm. mine and i feel like people are paying us to assist them on their path to being a better them and if there's no goal at the end of that path, how do we know when it's ended? Are you just going to keep taking their money? It feels very 
exploitive to me. So I've gotten some pushback over the years. Right. So if there, I wasn't aware of of that drama swirling around you <laughs> in therapist communities. Um, if there's not, like, what would therapy that's goal-oriented be versus not goal-oriented therapy? Well, there's other therapies, like, back from the, like, the origins of psychology. If you think of more like psychoanalytic theory, if mm-hmm. anybody wants to Google it, you can read about it. it it's long, long term, like years long, just in and of itself. And and if you're tr- speaking from a traditional standpoint, you could do like the free association, like, Allison, what do you think of when I say, you know, light cigar. bulb? Like cigar. <laughs> yeah. It's a phallic symbol. I think oh of my just God. a cigar. Right. That's the thing. <laughs> so it's it's a very strange. And, and now, as we know, more and more research has been done. A lot of the original stuff has been proven to not be that effective, mm-hmm. but we had to start somewhere. Right. And but there are people who practice that way still. And so there I do get a little bit of pushback in the comments, not very often anymore, to be honest. And by and large, my colleagues, the people that I engage with on the regular are excited about it. Mm-hmm. And they think it's really cool. Even some of the older colleagues that I'm, I'm part of this, like, we call it a journal club, even though it's not like we're reading journals or writing journals. It's more just like a way to share difficult cases and get some some thoughts and insight. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are really excited about what I do and think that it, it's really cool, even though they themselves are like, I'm not interested because I've asked them, like, would you be on the channel? And they're like, oh, no, but I like that you do it, you know, <laughs> yeah. so to each their own. I know that my therapist feels like there is a need for people like Dr. Drew, I don't know if she would put Dr. Phil in this category, but the sort of public faces of, um, I don't know, I feel like I'm putting words in her mouth, but therapy slash entertainment, like pro- offering people a taste of therapy who maybe don't have access to therapy themselves. Now you are much more, you're, you, I would say you hew closer to like true therapy, um, yeah, but still it is like putting it out for the masses and maybe introducing them to therapy and giving them some of the tools and helping them if they're not yet in therapy themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a place and a necessity for that because people are kind of nervous, like mm-hmm. therapy can be really scary if you don't come from a very like therapy forward family or society or city or anything like that. If you kind of are the old, like stuff it down, forget about it kind of person, then therapy can seem really overwhelming. So I do think that there is an importance, even though I'm not always a huge fan of the people that are put in, you know, in the spotlight because they, they have their own opinions and it can Mm -hmm. differ from mine. But I think that it is, it is kind of like a necessary thing because it's a great way to introduce people to it. And I hear all the time from my audience, like, Hey, I finally reached out to a therapist because of you. And, and that's really the goal is like, Hey, get your own help. I'll offer a little bit of tips and tools and stuff and get you started. But you know, it really, you benefit most when you're doing it in person with somebody or even online because COVID now. So yeah. Right. (laughs) So, um, where did you grow up? In Washington State, in Southwest Washington, just outside of uh, Olympia. Mm-hmm. I don't know how well people know it, but yeah. And what was your childhood like? Um, I grew up in the country. Like, I mean, I think we had like 30,000 people in the city when I was growing up, or town. I don't know if you'd call it a city. And I grew up on a Christmas tree farm. So oh, my wow. grandpa, we lived... Uh, so my grand, my grandma and grandpa on my dad's side had, I want to say it's like 32 acres or something like that. And they gave my parents when they got married one acre to live on on the corner of their property. And so when the farm, because it was a farm, all of my dad's childhood, it was a farm. And then when my grandfather retired, he turned it into a Christmas tree farm. And so I grew up 
in that kind of area. And, you know, we didn't have cable television. My mom was like, get outside, like run around, do things like that. Um, yeah, it was all in all a, a great childhood. I, I really enjoyed growing up in the middle of nowhere, even though at the time I wished so much that I was in a city, mm-hmm. like that I could walk next door and see a friend. Like I was like miles away from anybody that, you know, I'd want to hang out with a friend, any friends that I knew. Um, I have a brother. He's like f- almost four years older than me and we couldn't be more different. He's super shy, was really into like magic cards and reading as a kid. And I was definitely more of like, I play all the sports Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I don't know. I was also always just trying to get out of that small town. So like a lot of my like teen years was just, I have to get the best grades and do the best so that I can like somehow launch Mm -hmm. successfully. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of, I guess, where I came from. And that's just, just me and my brother and my mom and dad. And my dad passed away when I was in graduate school. He had a heart attack and died. Um, oh he'd had some health complications and everything. So it was kind of to be expected, but it was still a shock. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, really, that's really it. What did you first want to be? A lawyer. Oh, really? <laughs> and I forgot about this completely. But I kept diaries throughout like all of my childhood because my great grandma at the time did it. And mm-hmm. she was like, it's, uh, it's really cool to look back and you know, you would want to start it. You know, Katie, you should do it. And so I used to keep diary. I mean, silly diaries like, dear diary, today we went to grandma's house and she made pie and it was delicious. Like there's nothing, like nothing going on in my <laughs> life. <laughs> I ran around for three hours until I was tired. Um, so. I was reading those diaries because my mom had moved. This is years ago. My mom had moved and I was looking into them and I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to have a briefcase. This is like child thought. I wanted to wear a suit and have a briefcase and work in a big city like New York. So your fascination with big cities, which I relate Mm -hmm. to, by the way, um, where did what was your exposure? Like what made you realize there's life outside of the Christmas tree farm? I mean, we would go to Seattle. Seattle is like an hour, hour and a half away from us. And so we would go into like, go into the city kind mm-hmm. of. I, country people understand when you're like, you go to town, like when you go <laughs> into your town and then you go to the city when you're going like to the big city. And I I guess that would be my first exposure to cities, but I've also, maybe just television, mm-hmm. I guess. And I've always just enjoyed bustling energy of people and having more things to do than like one or two things and having restaurants that are open later than like 9 p.m. <laughs> you know, growing up in a small town, like it's it's very limiting. And so I've always just wanted to know more. And then as I got older, went to school and learned there was more, uh, you wanted even more, mm-hmm. you know? So you wanted to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what came after that? I think... I want to say, I think a therapist or something that was, it was pretty early on. I think because we had like a psych 101 class in high school Mm -hmm. and I, and, and maybe I want, thought I'd be like a professional something. Cause you know, when you're a kid, you're like, I'm going to be a professional soccer player or something. (laughs) I might've had something like that. Cause I really love soccer, but I think therapy was probably next. And then even when I went to undergraduate school, when I finished it, I was like, maybe I want to be a pastry chef. Cause I love baking uh-huh. and culinary school is expensive. And my, my mom was like, so you want to work at night when all your friends aren't working and on weekends is that, is that, you know, just making sure you understand like what kind of career path this is. And I'm glad that she said that. Cause I was like, I really don't want to do that. And so I didn't do that. <laughs> and then I went to school to finish, you know, to get my master's. But isn't that also a pretty arduous path? Yes. And no one really tells you uh, when you're, 
wanting to do it, you know, it's like, oh, it's, it's such a, it's almost like becoming a teacher. I feel like in a way where they're like, it's so good and you're doing such good in the world. And, and yeah, I want to do good in the world, but no one really told me a, how goddamn expensive school is mm-hmm. and what that really means. Cause when you're a child, you, I mean, at 18, I know people are like, I'm an adult. You're a child. I was a child. <laughs> I, I was, was a child. And a child. I, I still am sometimes a child. So, you know, we, we grow up slowly. But mm-hmm. when you're taking out student loans, you don't actually know what that means. And right. so I thought, oh, you know, $60,000, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, it seems like arbitrary and doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. And so going to undergrad and graduate school all on my own, like my parents, I didn't come from a wealthy family. So it was like I was putting myself through school. That was not that it was a mistake because it led me to be who I am. So I appreciate it. But I mean, I just paid those lo- those off and that's crazy to me that I should be in m- that much debt, like right. leaving school with $90,000 in debt is crazy. And so that was definitely an issue. And then you have to gather 3000 hours towards your licensure. So mm-hmm. you go through, you know, your undergrad, your graduate education, and then you have to gather these hours in California. Every state's different, but it's at least 1500 hours and you don't always get paid. So I think the most, the highest paying job I got at that time with a, with a master's degree working in the field was like $14 an hour. Oh, wow. I think. And I was like stoked. Oh, that's actually a lie. Towards the very end before I got my license, I got a job at a hospital and I think I made $22 an hour. And I was like, rolling in it. Yeah, (laughs) totally. So yeah, it makes it a little difficult to pay off your student loans if you're only making like $40,000 a year or whatever it was. I don't know. Right. Where did you go to undergraduate and graduate? Pepperdine University. And if people don't know, it's a private Christian university in Malibu, California. And it is expensive, but I was on scholarship. So I want to say it cost me about $16,000 a year, which was the same as if I'd gone to any like state school, mm-hmm. as long as I was going out of state, I wanted to get out of state. I just wanted to like leave, like I'm, I'm free. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, so yeah, it was, it was definitely costly and no one tells you like what 3000 hours really means. It took me about five years to do it. And those 3000 hours are, are they typically in a certain kind of role? You have, there's certain, uh, I don't even know, like minimums of Mm -hmm. hours. So you have to have 3000, but some of those are like paperwork hours because you need to learn how to file insurance paperwork and how to do notes and all of that. And I want to say maybe let's say 500 hours can be that, or I think it's 250. Like if you're working in the field, but you don't have, but you're collecting your hours, what are you called until you get the hours? What's your title? You're an intern. Oh, so it'd be like right now I'm a, an LMFT. So I'm a mm-hmm. licensed marriage and family therapist. And back then, and they might've changed it around. Someone had told me they changed it in, since I've graduated, but it was an MFTI. So a marriage and family therapist intern. intern. Yeah. And so, yeah, so you gather those hours and you have to do the thing that everybody has a tough time. If anybody else out there is a mental health professional, you have to gather 500 hours of child therapy time, which is really tricky to get for some people. I I was fortunate enough to work with a lot of children at the early part of my hours. So I wasn't at such a, a lot of people already gathered all the hours they need except for those child hours. And it's a little bit trickier. Right. Because it's hard to find kids who need therapy or to get yourself in front of them. To get yourself in front of them. A lot of parents don't want their children to see interns, you know, and I understand that. Um, I happened to luck out. I mean, it sounds bad to even say luck out because I worked with the court system at the very beginning. So it was a lot of children that were unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you know, foster care or parents are in divorce or something and they would come to see me. 
Was that tough? Yes and no. I initially thought I wanted to work with kids. So I really wanted to be like a developmental psychologist. When I was like going through school, I was like, that's what I want to be. I love the way the brain develops. It's super interesting. The way kids are, kids are wonderful. This is so cool. But the thing that you forget about children is number one, that it's a lot slower of progress Mm -hmm. and they don't have as much insight to tell you when things are better. And you have to kind of get them to slowly open up in a different way to tell you if things are good or bad. And that's hard, but no offense to parents out there, but you guys can be the worst. <laughs> and like they, they get in the way and they're like mad. And that was the hardest for me was, uh, I've had a one instance. I actually wrote about it in my second book that'll come out next year where I had a child who was, she personally wasn't being abused, but her mom was in an abusive relationship and that's dangerous. So I had to call child protective services mm-hmm. and then her mom never brought her in again. And I, that happens a lot, unfortunately. And and that was that was devastating and like difficult for me to grapple with like well I'm doing my job but why does it feel so shitty right. and now I can't even help her and I remember my supervisor being like sometimes our hands are legally tied and you just have to do the right thing even though it might not feel that way and I was like our system sucks but <laughs> that was just you know young me was like this doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. um but I get it you know I had to protect her and her mom has the right to not bring her cuz she's not you know she's the child the mom's the adult Right. Do you feel like you shouldn't have had to call? I feel like CPS, like Child Protective Services, needs to work in a better way with mm. treatment teams that are already in place because a better a better situation wouldn't have been to just show up at their house because that's what they do is they usually just show up to do like a safety check and then they have a right to know like – how come you're doing this? And so they'll tell them like, well, somebody called on their behalf. And even if they don't tell them it was the therapist, I'm like the only one, you know what I mean? I'm sure the mom can be like, Hmm, this is the only time, you know, that my daughter could have said anything to anybody because I didn't say anything. And then it, then the relationship is ruined for the child. And so it's not that I don't think they, they should be called or should investigate, but I feel like it could be done a little bit soft, like with a softer hand and a better ways. Right. It feels like they're like, using an ax when you need a scalpel or exactly something. like or yeah. or <clears throat> pouring uh water on a grease fire like i don't see mm-hmm. how that approach is going to net the result they're looking for unless they happen to walk in and catch some someone in the middle of something and they they hardly ever do right. i mean i'm sure i know one of my friends is a social worker and she says that they'll show up at homes that are like severely neglected you know like there's no food in the fridge and stuff like that and so that that in and of itself can be helpful and beneficial but but yeah it is like i would have preferred to be able to make the call and they take the report and then i sit down with the the mom and her daughter and talk about it and then you know then they could, I could say, let's make an appointment. They need to come by the house to talk to you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Even though I know they're like, well, then you won't catch them in the, but I'm like, if you gave the mom the option to say like, Hey, we're going to have to file a report and this is going to happen. Or, you know, you can leave this loser or something, you know, and I don't know. And everyone's going to make the right decision. And and I see the difficulty, but I just feel like there's got to be a better way. Yeah, I know. And then when they, if they take the kids out of the home, that, you know, starts a cascade of other potential problems. Not saying that that's the wrong thing to do necessarily, but like that's a very complicated consequence too. Yeah, because our foster care system's really broken as well. So it's like, 
yes, it's, you don't want them in an abusive situation, but there's a lot of abuse in the foster care system. Right. And there's a lot of, you know, and then kids are bouncing around and I've done a lot of work in the past with different companies that offer bikes to children who are in foster care system and, and offering suitcases. Cause if anybody out there doesn't know when children are moved into foster care, a lot of times their, their goods, like their, their, their clothes and their school stuff is put in garbage bags mm-hmm. and they're like, you know, it's really like they're not already having a shitty time. Like, right. come on now, let's, you know. So, so yeah, there's, it, it needs some work. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we just, I just took you into doom and gloom. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. I think I, I, I think I was like, let me chase you into doom and gloom. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So what is it then that appealed to you about therapy? I always enjoyed even as a teen, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, is like being the secret keeper and the one people would go to. I've always loved that. I don't know why. It might be because I just like to know the dirty deets. But I think it's also like I like to be part of things, mm-hmm. like to be part of the process and get to hear people's process. And I always took such great pride in being like a vault, like nothing would ever get out. I'd never tell your secrets, blah, blah, blah. So I always liked that kind of stuff. And frankly, I got, I get bored easily, like almost every job, like I've done everything. I've been a waitress. I've been a sales representative. I've been a customer service person. I've done all sorts of random shit throughout the years and I hated all of it. Mm. And the only job I never got bored of was being a therapist because people are always different. The issues are different and we're always dealing with something new every week. And it's like a challenge. And I I think I kind of enjoy that challenge. Like I talk a lot on my channel about being a detective, Mm -hmm. like, because I love I love detective stuff too, but it's like, you know, you can't just break in the front door with someone. Usually, you have to find like a, a little window that's got a little wiggle room, and you can get in that way to like get them to share more. You know, so it's like it, I don't know. It, it's very interesting and, and something that's always kept my attention. How much now? This is a person who goes to therapy kind of question. Mm-hmm. Um, how much do you think about your clients when they're not in front of you? Depends on what's going on. I think I, I'm always, it's always in the back of my mind because some, like, honestly, I'll be on Amazon, like looking for a book or a different resource for a video I'm making. I'm like, oh, I should also pick this up because so-and-so, we think it might be ADHD. And I don't know enough about that. So mm-hmm. I should read up, you know, so they're always kind of in your mind enough um, because I'm doing always like ancillary research for them, like trying to figure out like, hey, we tried that one tool that one of my colleagues said to work and it didn't work. So, hmm, you know, and so I think it's more of that. I do, however, if a patient's in crisis, they're on my mind like a lot more frequently, mm-hmm. but boundaries are really important in therapy. And it's important for me and the health of myself, as well as the health of like the therapeutic relationship for it to be, you know, at the office. Mm-hmm. Do you know Emily Gordon? She's Kumail Nanjiani's wife. Did you see the big sick? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's a very good movie. Um, okay. So she, do you know who Kamal Nanjiani is? He's a comedian. No. Um, mm-hmm. I, off the top of my head, I should, because he was just in like a big Marvel movie. But anyway, she mm-hmm. is now <clears throat> a screenwriter, but she was a practicing therapist. And oh, mm-hmm. I have had her on my show a couple of times. And she's also an author and um, she's great. But anyway, she was saying, I think she worked now... I should, I I might not have this exactly correct, but she, I think she worked in a boy's home or worked with troubled youth or worked with, mm-hmm. with teens with schizophrenia or something like very intense. And she would have this very lengthy, specific hand-washing routine when she got home, which like helped her 
put kind of put the day you yeah. know in a box but i remember at the time thinking like that must have just been murder on your hands sort of mm. like the hand washing yeah. that we have in covid now yeah i mean it, there are like rituals that we would have to like wash off our day mm-hmm. that that's a very like i don't know it's so representative, right? Because it is the washing. Right. But I think in a lot of ways, even now with COVID, I feel like a lot of people feel the need for the routine of like unwinding from work Mm -hmm. and then coming home. And we have this mix, like I'm in my apartment all the time now, which never was the case. And we don't have that drive home to like unwind. Right. Like I remember... I used to have this really long commute when I worked at the hospitals because it kind of depended on where I was at because I was just kind of floating around between three different uh, hospitals that they had. And sometimes my commute would be like an hour and I would love that time. And it's funny because everybody would, my mom would be like, well, just call me on your way home from work. And I'd be like, <laughs> I don't want to talk to anybody right. like, at all. I just want to sit in silence. Like I'd turn off the radio and just be like, Boo, you know, just, just zone out. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's interesting because I think we are missing that in general mm-hmm. right now. Is that like washing of the hands that that way? But you do need that, especially in therapy. And I think everybody does. But specifically when you work with other people, you need to have that kind of separation mm-hmm. between yourself and, and the work that you do. Are there specific rituals, I mean, aside from the drive home, that you would do or that you see another therapist um, do? Um, I mean, some a lot of my therapists – friends do they don't like I write notes I handwrite my notes still I know that's very archaic for a lot of people but it I find a computer to be very dehumanizing mm-hmm. like I don't want to be talking to a patient and be like yes and then I'm like like that just feels icky to me but but me jotting a little note and talking it feels a little bit better so some of my friends I know do like they'll recite their notes while they drive home into like an audio thing that puts it into computer you know their their computerized setup for their notes. But most of my my friends, it's just like you leave all of your stuff at work. We never take legally you don't take paperwork home because it has to be locked up and you know and so I think there's there's something to that. But for me it was really just like I do all of the work in my office before I leave. Mm-hmm. Like whether I need to fax something, email something, send a super bill, call somebody, I do it all there. And then and then I make my way home, you know, and I turn off my like my work phones on silent then always, you know, I so didn't know. To- mm-hmm. I didn't know that the notes have to be locked up. Yeah, to for privacy, confidentiality, you would hate for someone to get a hold of like all your therapy notes. Right, right. Mm, that'd be like shocking to anybody. <laughs> so what was your first experience in therapy? I was about 15 years old. And I, I think I mean, 15, 16, I think it's 15. But my my mom and dad had started couples counseling and I don't really know for any particular reason, it, you know, it was their relationship, whatever. But a lot of, I remember at that time, a ton of my friends' parents were getting divorced. Mm. And I remember my brother and I being like, are you guys going to get divorced? What's happening? You know, blah, 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 blah. And my mom was like, no, but I think we're going to start therapy. One of her friends had told her about it and she thought it could be beneficial. Kudos to my mom. Mm. And then her my dad did not like it by the way because he's like i don't want to cry in front of strangers or tell them my secrets yeah and but my mom and i both loved it and so we did some family therapy for a short period and then i wanted to continue and she continued we both continued on our own separately and that was probably my first foray into therapy and I, i think i saw i feel like the name's the woman's name was susan if i remember correctly anyway i saw her for about a year and then and then I stopped. And then when my dad started getting sick, I got back into therapy and it was in, 
undergrad. Mm -hmm. I went for maybe like six or eight sessions. And then I went a lot, like as my dad got sicker, I went throughout all of graduate school. And that's the cool thing about school is it was free. Yes. And so, man, I love that. And I went and saw, you know, I went therapy all the way through graduate school. And then on my own now, I kind of go off and on you know, I went a lot leading up to my wedding because that was super stressful mm -hmm. and I was working two jobs and doing all that. And so I went then too. And yeah, so that's, I mean, now I'm 37, so it's been going on for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of therapy, mm -hmm. if you think you may be depressed or you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious, BetterHelp Online Counseling offers licensed professional therapists who are trained to listen and to help with issues including anxiety, depression, difficulty sleeping, LGBT matters, family conflicts, self-esteem, and more. You simply fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with your counselor in under 48 hours. You can easily schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus exchange unlimited messages to communicate with your therapist at your convenience. Everything you share is confidential. Um, and then here's something that I always want to call out because I think it's really special. If for any reason you're unhappy with your therapist, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. So I think people might be nervous to start up with someone new, um, you know, virtually and feel like, what if it's the wrong match? You are not committed at all, they will get you the right match. BetterHelp is an affordable option and our listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code BESTFRIEND. Get started today at BetterHelp. That's betterhelp.com slash bestfriend, betterhelp.com slash bestfriend. Talk to a therapist online and get help. I also want to tell you guys about Brooklinen. Um, I am spending a lot of time in my bed and I love my Brooklyn and sheets. They are my, a friend of mine actually recently just got in touch with me and said someone you guys know who's been on the show. Uh, and he was like, Hey, what do you think of this brand of sheets? And I said, I like them, but I like Brooklyn and better. I just sleep better on them. They are my favorite sheets. I also have Brooklyn and towels. They are my favorite towels. Uh, producer Tony has them as well. They come in multiple, uh, plushness multiple weights so you can get a light one that dries fast you can get a, a thicker one that feels like you're in a spa um it is great uh and brooklyn has so much more than just sheets and towels they have comforters pillows loungewear uh it's just turn your home into a super nice cozy place that you want to be don't wait do something nice for yourself go to brooklinen.com and use promo code best friend to get 10 percent off your first order and free shipping that's brooklinen b-r-o-o-k-l-i-n N-E-N.com and enter promo code best friend for 10% off your first order plus free shipping. Brooklinen.com, promo code best friend at checkout. Okay. So, Katie, when mm -hmm. did you start making videos and what drew you to that? Mm, I started making videos in 2011. Like, I think it was December of 2011 or maybe. Yeah, I think it was the end. I know it was in December sometime. And the reason that I started the channel was actually my then boyfriend, now husband, had gone to this conference. Mm -hmm. And he came back talking all about YouTube. He was like, because he was filming, If uh, for those people who don't know, he's a, in film production, and he has a production company, and they would go and film different things, corporate videos, stuff like this. And at the time, he was filming for somebody who was doing like fitness instruction, because they wanted to have like their event in film so they could share it later. And 
the person on the stage that was talking at the end of the first night was like, this is so amazing. I get to reach you directly through YouTube. It's such a cool platform and went on and on about it. And so he came home and he was like, you know, you're talking all the time about how people don't understand eating disorders because I worked in an eating disorder treatment center mm -hmm. and that has, is still to this day is my specialty in my private practice. And so I, you know, was telling him like, you know, when we're trying to refer people out or I, when I'm at this treatment center, like people are stepping down, we have no one to refer to. There's only three people in there full and blah, blah, blah. And I was just complaining as one does. And <laughs> he, he was like, you should do, you should put this on YouTube. Like, why don't you just educate people? Cause then other people can learn about it. Other clinicians can learn about it. And it's like problem solved kind of. And this was probably a year before I went on to YouTube. Cause I was like, I don't want to do that. It's weird. And like, I'm a therapist. Like I'm not supposed to put myself out there. Mm. I don't want to be on camera like, uh, and then he started <laughs> sending me like videos of people like Jenna Marbles, Anna Akana. There were a ton of like the OG creators. Mm -hmm. And he was like, no, people do this. Like they're, they're doing this. Like, look at this. And so it took me a little while and I was like, okay, I'll do a few videos. You have to do all the work and the editing. I'll just create the <laughs> content. It, we'll just try it out. And that's how it came to be. And it, it was just a really cool, it's funny thinking back to like how it first started because you know, you get like 11 views and you're like, oh, who's watching? <laughs> you know, meanwhile, it's like me refreshing the page to see how many people watch, you know. Um, but yeah, you have like your first few. Every like, time hard... I go back, there's one more. <laughs> <laughs> right? Somebody somewhere. Katie, it's you. Yeah. It's like my mom maybe is the only other person. Um, but you get your like hardcore fans and you start to get to know them. And yeah, it's just it's really just grown from there. Had you ever performed before not that what you're doing is no but it is performing yeah. in a way so you had no yeah. experience like you didn't do drama or make speeches or any of that I mean I did do like school stuff like I was a theater kid mm -hmm. um I always enjoyed that kind of stuff uh and and you know I had speech classes and things like that but I'd never I was never a shy kid I'll put that out there like mm -hmm. I never really cared what people thought about me and I'm still kind of that way. Definitely, as my dad used to say, spunky and feisty. And that's just <laughs> kind of my personality, I guess. But never perform, not uh, not really. Like I was never the lead in anything. Mm -hmm. I, I sang in choir for many years too. So I did that, but I wasn't a huge like soloist, you know? Right. So I, I could perform, but it's never really been like my thing. So it sounds like what you're saying is you you never had stage fright. You were no. always comfortable in that role, but it was never anything that you had ambitions in. Yeah, not at all. Like right. I never wanted to act or do anything like that. I just always liked being part of something. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, like, you know, I remember my high school was doing Pinocchio and I was like, ooh, what kind of roles, you know, and I got to play like one of the dolls. I had like three lines or something that was perfect. I was like, I get to be part of it, but I don't have to do a lot. Like mm -hmm. this is easy and perfect. So yeah, I've, I enjoyed it, but never, yeah, never aspired to be anything more than that. When you say you want to be part of something, um, does that extend to like wanting to be invited to stuff, even if you don't want to go? Because I have 100%. That. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Nobody likes to be left out. No. You know? <laughs> um, that, well, that's interesting. Do you think that's a universal, when you say nobody wants to be left out, like that makes so much sense. But I always figured like I had it even more somehow since I'm like kind mm -hmm. of introverted or I can be introverted by nature. And yet I always do want the invite. Like, is that a universal thing to want to be included? I think so. I think some people would argue and be like, no, I never wanted to be, but you wanted to know that they wanted you there. Right. Even if you're like, they already know I'm saying no. Like I, one of my close friends, he never likes to leave his house period. And 
he is totally introverted. And the only way we get to really hang out is if I go over there, right? Or he'll come over here, but that's Mm -hmm. like it. No big parties, no events, no nothing. And I remember it was like a year ago, almost exactly because it was a Halloween party. And he was like, I think we got together for Thanksgiving and he was like, I saw you went to, to such and such, I even forget who it was, Halloween party. How was it? And I was like, oh, it was really fun. You know, it was a good group of people. And and he's like, they didn't invite me. And he was all upset. And his boyfriend was like, you wouldn't have gone. You already told me you knew it was happening. And if they were to invite, you're going to say no. And he's like, but I just wanted them to invite me, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's like, I, I think it. we all really do if we're being honest with ourselves. Mm-hmm. We we need to be part of something and we like to be included and thought of. I think it's more about the thought of. You want to know what they think of you. And right. You're important. Yeah. So you started making video. What did you think before you were on YouTube? What was your, what did you think of YouTube? Or I honestly did. didn't, I didn't know what it was. I mean, if you think back, when did it start? Like 2007, 2008? I don't even know. So it was like, I thought it was cat videos. Remember that cat in the blue shirt that's like, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> yeah. I thought that's what YouTube was. And so I really didn't have any idea or any preconceived notions. No one was really making money that I knew of. It mm-hmm. was not a business move. It was more of a like, hey, this is a cool kind of side thing I can do, you know? And so I I guess I just really didn't know. I had no idea it'd become what it is, just FYI. Like back then, if people don't recognize what YouTube was, we couldn't make thumbnails, which are the pretty things that you see that make mm-hmm. you click on a video. We couldn't, There, I don't even know if tags were even a thing. And you couldn't monetize because I think they'd only opened up the partner program to like 10 creators like that year. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't even really a thing. Um, Yeah. So I I don't think I even thought of it or knew what to expect. Does Sean still do all your editing? Yes, he does. Oh, that's such, that is such a good system you've worked out. I I don't know how. Yeah. I honestly, whenever I meet creators who are like, oh, I did it on my own for like six years or something. I'm like, how? Oh my God. Like, cause I remember when I did my first few collaborations with other creators, they'd be like, okay, can, uh, do you want to bring your own camera and set it up? And I was like, oh no, no, no. I, I don't even know how that works. <laughs> and they were like shocked that I didn't know how to do anything right. like that. That was like, that was his zone. This is my zone. I don't know. I have no idea. So how collaborative is it once you film it or do you just give it to him he does it and then it's done or does he show you as he's going it's shifted over the years and it kind of depends on the the video and the content so in a regular like just me to camera video which is is a majority of them where they're just educational and to the point right now we have like google docs where i give him my points so he knows what i'm he can reference and it's easy peasy and i don't have to be part of the editing back in the day when i never made any notes and i would just roll from my brain we would run into problems where he would leave something and i'd be like oh that's not right like mm-hmm. and he'd be like why didn't you tell me you know it was this kind of frustration that's why we have the system we have now um and then for a while before we got into the system i would edit for content first and that just got to be too cumbersome for me to do that. Mm-hmm. And but now then there's also bigger like when we do series or just bigger videos, like let's say we were collaborating on something, I would want to be part of should. the editing. We totally should. <laughs> and I would I would want to see it so I could like put it together in the way that I'm envisioning and we could have like a creative conversation mm-hmm. about it. But by and large, he does like 99% of that. And I don't do it. <laughs> I have I have more questions about that, which I'll come back to. But so how did you start growing your channel? Because I mean, you have over a million subscribers now. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's a slow grow. 
Like, it's funny because I was just talking to a gentleman this morning, like for an interview for a news segment. And he was like, a million, like that's so many. And I'm so jaded by being on social media for so long. I'm like, my friends have like 30 million. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? It feels so insignificant. Back when I started a million, it was like bonkers. Like that would be (laughs) crazy, you know? And so it definitely has been a slow grow. Cause if you think about it, I've been on YouTube for nine years, but the thing that grows channels the best is obviously consistency of creation. That's always, I've never, like, I always make an, have an upload go out at least each week. And I, you know, I meet my deadlines. I think part of it is the therapist in me. That's like consistency is important for people. They need to know that they can rely on it. And hopefully people felt like they can rely on me for nine years. And so that's part of it. And then collaborations always help just like podcasts, right? Like mm-hmm. as you collaborate with other people, then other audiences learn about you and get to hear about you and decide through a long form conversation if they would like to hear more from you. And so collaborations over the years have been really instrumental in the growth. Now I'm asking questions as someone who has a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen. Go there to watch this conversation (laughs) and to watch the tiny tuft of hair I have in the front that refuses to, to go along with the rest of the hairs. It likes Um, to stand on its own. It's a free thinker. (laughs) That's right. <laughs> um, when you say consistency is important, and I know from podcasting, like I never miss episodes. You know, I always, mm-hmm. we always, it's a consistent release schedule for my podcasting, but why is it important for YouTube? Is that like an algorithm thing or is that a, a the user's feeling about you thing? It's Your. a little bit of both. And I think things have shifted over time. So uh, I'll talk about a few things here. So first of all, I think for my audience in particular, consistency is really key because of kind of what I talked about. Like I think being able to rely on someone and know you have something, some people wait for people to upload. Like I know the video is coming today and they get excited about it. And Mm -hmm. I like to, you know, never leave them hanging. Um, So there's that. And then the algorithm back in the day, it doesn't do this anymore, but it used to reward more frequent uploads. Mm. So that's when daily vlogging became a big thing. That's when I was doing five videos a week was when it was rewarding that kind of behavior, which is really obviously overwhelming and ridiculous and only leads to burnout. So we stopped. Ta-da. But now I think it's a little bit more... I mean, educational content, I think, does need to be a little bit more consistent just because of the, the type that it is. But a lot of my, uh, my friends and technically, I guess, colleagues on YouTube just upload when, when they want, when Mm. the creative juices strike or they'll work on big projects and release. Like my friend Shane released one series over a year. Like it took a whole year. He put it together. Yeah. And he released, I forget how many videos it even was, but you worked on this project for a long time. Right. And so there can be these labors of love. Elle Mills is another friend of mine who used to feel the need to create every week, but her videos are like these amazing creative process. It can take like tons of people and things and it's like a big production. And so it got, it was, she was burnt out and now she just releases when the mood strikes and it might be every month, every couple weeks, you just don't know. And Mm -hmm. so I, I think in some ways you can get away with that, but I do know just for people out there who are like, I'm starting and it's not working. I do know that you want people to click through to watch when it goes live because that tells the algorithm that it's important that people like you and they want to watch it right away and that means it's going to be served up again and again and so that that is important and i know that if i release on a day when people aren't expecting it it's not click through as much Mm. because they're they're not like prepared right that makes sense but but yeah so i've just always done mondays from the beginning mondays are my release date and 
And then my podcast is Thursdays because my I used to do two videos a week and Thursday was that other day. So I'm like, they're already kind of primed for that day. Yeah. Um, you said that eating disorders are your specialty. Did you ever battle an eating disorder? No, but I had a, a few good friends, one in particular that was very close to me growing up that did. And for that reason, I actually didn't think I could work in that field. I remember when I was first in grad, so you start practicing, not really practicing, but you start getting a job in the field in an intern type position mm-hmm. when you're still in grad school and it's 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 called your practicum. So it's part of like your process and stuff and you learn. So you have like things to work on, right? Like, oh, I tried this and it didn't work. What would I do? And so you're learning along. And one of the jobs that opened up was at an eating disorder treatment center. And at that time I was like, I don't think so. Like my friend, I was too close to my friend. I feel mm. like I'm too close to this. I never understood wh- what was going on with her. I didn't know how to help her. And so I, I was like, I just don't think I can be distant enough from this. And so I took a different position. And then about a year later, when I was almost graduating from graduate school, another job came open at that eating disorder treatment center. And my job was ending because it was just like this, you know, portion of time. And it was the only job that I could find that paid anything. And my friend was like, just give it a try. You never know, you know. And one of my teachers was like, sometimes you'd be surprised the things that are kind of closer to us, we can be better at, you know. Mm. And so there was a lot of discussion. I was like, I'll at least do the interview. And so then I got the job and I started it and I just fell in love with the work. It's it's super rewarding for anybody out there who doesn't understand. It's like you you find people, I, I assume like addiction specialists feel this way too. You find people- when you're working in a treatment center is like at their worst. And then you get to see them flourish. Like you get to see it get better. And obviously not every case is like this beautiful flower reveal, but you still get to be part of that amazing process. And there's nothing more rewarding. And so that from there on out, I was like, this is fascinating from an intellectual level, like understanding each person's process and why. And it's also extremely rewarding and you get to see people change for the better and and make the most out of their life. And that's awesome. Mm. Is there any kind of client that you would turn away? Anyone you would feel like mm. you, you can't work with or you can't reach? I and mean, I ha- it depends. Go ahead. Hmm? No, you, uh, I was just like, it, it kind of depends on their issues because it if they're coming to me, let's say they do have ADHD and they're they're needing like specific tools and techniques for it, and I've tried the things that I know, then I might refer them out to a specialist. So there's always a level of like, we have, you know, it's like, uh, what's the, I forget, like, oh, uh, jack of all trades, master of none kind mm-hmm. of thing. So you you have, I have like my specialties, but then the rest of the things, I'm just kind of like that jack of all trades. Like I kind of know enough to assist, but if someone needs more specialized care, then I will refer them out. So when it comes to addiction, I can definitely help people within a certain, you know, set of parameters. But then if I feel like they need more specialized care, I'll refer them out. Like I don't do uh, EMDR therapy, which is like, trauma-based therapy. Mm. I, I'm not trained in it and I don't do it. So if someone is wanting that kind of care, I refer them out. And there's, so there's not really anybody that I wouldn't see right now because I'm only in my office like two half days. If someone needs more care, like more serious care, unfortunately at this point I, I can't. So that would be someone that I, I would, wouldn't even take on as a patient to even see if it could work. I would just refer them out. What do you think of EMDR? And I ask because, um, I did it. I had a therapist who it was like very early on in it, though. I don't even it was. God. Like 20 years ago or so. Mm -hmm. Um, I had 
watched in college, my friend, we went to get gas and he was pumping gas and this guy like threw all of a sudden I just heard this bang and it was my friend being thrown up against the car and there was this guy with a meat cleaver and he's like, give me your wallet. And then, um, so I, my, he ended up being okay. I was convinced the guy was going to come into the car and like kill us. Mm -hmm. Um, but he didn't, he just shuffled off. But like I had made eye contact with, I can still remember his like very crazy, Mm -hmm. uh, red eye. I I assume he was on drugs. Um, yeah, I'd assume so too. I was just, so fearful after that mm-hmm. i was already yeah, traumatized like, yeah traumatized. traumatized i mean i remember at being back in the dorm afterwards and needing to go to the bathroom and like opening up the door and like looking both ways and then kind of mm-hmm. running to the bathroom and i was hyper vigilant yeah. yeah i mean and and anytime i went to a gas station i would i would like almost shake like i was just convinced that i remember i was at um i was at a show watching my friend's band play at this bar in this very safe area. And I saw this guy there who kind of looked like the guy who mm-hmm. had held my friend up. And I was like, what if it's him? What yeah, if he recognizes he like- me? Yeah. So I was just that like messed me up for, for a period of time. So I think that's what we were working on and we did EMDR and it just, I didn't feel like it helped me. And I don't know though, if it's because I felt like this is, corny i don't know if i believe mm-hmm. in it what or are like we doing yeah yes that's how it struck me like i believed a lot in talk therapy and then when i was in new york <clears throat> i had a therapist who like was always like if i wanted to bring my anger out by like yelling at a pillow and hitting it with a mm-hmm. tennis racket or like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and i never wanted to i was never comfortable with that even though i'm sure like that says something about me that i didn't wasn't into that but like yeah. i'm always like i always like the like let's just like d- what strikes me as like quote unquote normal therapy, like the woo wooey stuff kind of I'm not as comfortable with, although I probably would be more comfortable now. Anyway, all of that is me saying my own experience with EMDR was that it wasn't that effective, but I've heard like amazing things about it. I don't know if it's come a long way. It definitely has come a long way. Um, again, I'm not a specialist, but one of my close friends, um, Dr. Alexa Altman is. And the thing about EMDR is for people who don't know, it's uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. That's what EMDR stands for. And it's a, it's essentially the belief that when we our eyes go from left to right, or we have what's called bilateral stimulation, like if I'm tapping myself on each shoulder, left to right, um, I'm giving my brain another chance to process what's gone on. Mm-hmm. And that can also be, we can relate that to like, why do we have REM sleep where our eyes are like, mm-hmm. and the belief is that it's our brain processing through our day. And so if we can stimulate that, distressing memories and situations become not as distressing. And it doesn't work for everyone, just like any kind of therapy. But I do think there is a huge component, and I'm, I'm a lot like you in this, where okay. it's like, I'm headstrong yeah. and that that can really get in my way. And I think in order for EMDR to fully work, you have to believe that it can, mm-hmm. which I know sounds woo-woo and I hate that shit too because I'm like, that's not real. I don't, what is this? I'm not the kind of that, I'm not like a gypsy lady. This isn't going to work for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I think you have to really take yourself to that scary place mm-hmm. and not everybody they're like, why am I doing this? If you're wondering why, you're not fully present enough to actually let it yeah. work. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, now that I think about it, I was 
not not nearly as far along in the sort of process of individuating and growing up and becoming self all the things you know yeah um and so i think it it probably i didn't want to feel those like i was comfortable intellectualizing stuff i wasn't comfortable on that just pure emotional level whereas Mm -hmm. you know i later like went to a for something else went to a hypnotherapist because i'm like i'll try anything (laughs) yeah you know and that was like way more woo woo and that might have been more beneficial at that time if you tried emdr then too that could have helped you know right um because and there is something to like intelli- intellectualization is definitely a defense mechanism, and I yeah. I live in it too because it helps us feel like in control when there is no control. You know, control is an illusion, but it can help us feel like, yeah, I've got I've got this. Like I can make sense of this, as if making sense of it makes us feel better. But right, you know, we think we think it might. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have some questions that listeners mm-hmm. sent in. I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen and um, all sorts of bonus stuff there and uh, yeah, bonus episodes and fun stuff. And that is where I take questions and I have a little song. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay. That's a cute ditty. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Garrett E. Simmons says, Mm -hmm. I first discovered her when watching the Shane Dawson YouTube series about Jake Paul and really enjoyed her perspective on things, but I did notice some amount of negative attention toward her for her part in the video series. Does she have any regrets about anything in that situation? By the way, I really liked her video from a couple months ago about toxic positivity. Yeah, I mean, I definitely did get some heat from that. And I didn't, I wasn't prepared. It's kind of funny looking back, Shane, and I've talked about it over the years. I mean, I guess it's been like two years now. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. Um, But I'd known Shane for a while. And I'd been on his podcast previous to that, like series. And when he reached out about it, I was like, well, I'm not a, I like, I don't specialize in sociopaths or antisocial, those with antisocial personality disorder. And he was like, no, I just want you to like, you tell me what it's like and like what it means. And I was like, well, okay, I'll just read from the DSM and tell you like some of the criteria and I'll read a couple books and stuff. So that's really what I did. And the, the funny thing, I have no regrets about it. I, I definitely should have realized how dramatized it would be knowing mm-hmm. Shane, but it didn't <laughs> even occur to me. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of me just being, like, I don't know if it's rose colored glasses or just completely naive, but there was definitely some of that where I was like, oh, it's educational. And like, I'll just do my thing and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I, um, and people don't realize like that behind the scenes, like Jake already knew I was going to be part of this and it's not as secretive as people thought, which whatever. But so th- I guess there's a couple of things like p- you can never please everyone. And if people want to be mad, they'll be mad. And the, the irony of it was that those who are true. So people are like, how dare you say that sociopaths are creepy or icky or terrible people? That's so unprofessional of you. And I was like, sure. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever met an a, a sociopath? Do you know what that is? Do you know what it means to, for someone to not have empathy? And that's the ironic thing is people have a tough time recognizing what that type of characteristic is mm-hmm. and what it means in life. And if they've ever encountered someone like that, Trust me when I tell you, you will feel it. It feels weird. It's different. 
it is a little creepy mm-hmm. because they don't relate to you and I in the way that we're used to being related to where they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, were you doing, you know, did you need this? Any of those niceties or recognizing that someone else might feel a certain way that that's impossible for them and very difficult. And that doesn't mean that they're all dangerous or anything, but it, you know, it's emotionally bizarre. Right. And so, yeah, it was it was an interesting thing that we were definitely shocked about the backlash in general. Like there's a video that Shane and I shot after that series that we'll never see the light of day. And it's us being like, well, that was interesting and fun. And we got to learn about something. And <laughs> it, it's so funny because I remember when when we started getting the backlash, he's like, that video can't go out. And I was like, I know people will think we're total assholes. But really, we thought we did like a good thing. And you know, it's just interesting. Also, there's so much stuff that didn't go into the series because, you know, Jake didn't want it there. And so we can't tell the full story. What was, <laughs> I'm not um, a, aware of this. What was the backlash? Oh, so the backlash was that I said that sociopaths are icky or creepy. People thought that was just so disrespectful and rude to of me. sociopaths who uh, aren't going to give so. a fuck. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exact. <laughs> no, that's that was exactly my response. So I just never even engage. I mean, I don't it, reply yeah. to trolls anyways, or right. haters in general. So I'm just like, fuck right off. Go to some, go somewhere else. I don't care. This is free content. You don't like it? Click on something else. Um, so yeah, that was that was really what the backlash was, at least from my understanding. That that was the was it just backlash to what you had said? Or was there backlash to like the video in general or aspects of the video in general? I think people were upset about it being dramatized, but that would be more on Shane's part. Mm-hmm. Like, and I didn't see all of his comments, but that was, that was the backlash I received was the, like, you shouldn't talk about mentally ill people like right. that. Did and, yeah. it have a negative effect in any, like, yeah. Did, did you suffer in any way from that backlash? Not really. I mean, other than like just dealing with a mass amount of trolls all of a sudden when my channel wasn't you know, my channel was large enough and I was, I was used to the occasional troll, mm-hmm. but this like wave of it was a li- was overwhelming for a f- couple of weeks and then it went away like everything else in life. Um, but it, it was more beneficial than anything else. I mean, right. a lot of people like he found me because of that. And I think a lot of people did. And, and that was really Shane's goal is he's like, more people need to know that your channel exists and, and hopefully use it as a helpful resource. So we were needless to say very shocked and, and like, oh, we we felt very stupid about it. Like, I didn't think this would be a bad thing. You know, Mm -hmm. we didn't see any reason for people to give any backlash. Right, right. Sorry, who did you say found you because of that? The person asked the question. That's what I was just saying. Like, he said that, yeah. Right. Um, Question about sociopaths. So... Yes. What you're... So I... I know that, like, if you encounter one, you do feel a chill, kind of. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. also aren't... Are they usually charming? Like I'm having trouble squaring be. those two things. They can be. It depends on how you encounter them. And again, this I read uh, a couple of books. It's like the sociopath next door, and then there's another one, the psychopath S- test. Yeah, and no, I don't know if the psychopath test. I'd have to. I'd have to like look it up because mm. I have to pull it from my bookcase, which is over there. But um, but anyways, I they can so they're charming when they need something from mm. you when they can use you as a tool for their betterment they can charm your socks off they're super friendly you think you've never met somebody like this it usually moves really quickly mm-hmm. it's kind of part of that like narcissistic component that they can look and feel very similar when it comes to this right. where they're like love bombing you mm. making you feel so important and so special but it's because they need you to do something for them and a lot of times they'll start by asking you like uh, something really big, right? They'll ask like, would you like, 
I don't know. Would you help me steal a car? I'm just making this up. This is not. <laughs> and you're like, of course not. That's ridiculous. And then, so they ask this big ask and mm-hmm. they're making room for this small ask. So they're like, oh, well, you know, would you just grab that five bucks off of Susie's desk over there? Cause I told her it's no big deal. I just need it for coffee. And you're like, oh yeah, sure. Like normally if they just had that, you'd be like, well, why don't you wait for Susie to come back? I don't know if that's really yours or, you know, so there's always, there's like this manipulation component, but when they're hoping to get you to do something, they will be charming. Right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, Garrett also wants to know, but we kind of answered this, but as a licensed therapist, does she now, or since being on YouTube, see clients one-on-one or does she strictly create mental health content? I, I do still see a few patients. I, I am whittling it down. I, I think that uh, because we're we're moving, my husband and I are moving out of state, I think that I will be, unfortunately, not doing that for much longer. Um, and I'm working on like referring my patients out. And it's, it's, it's weird. It's a weird thing. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. At the beginning, I never thought YouTube would be what it was. And so I saw patients for a long time, like full practice doing all sorts. They worked at the hospital part-time. Like I was just doing my thing. And it over the years, there's an unfortunate side effect where people show up at my office who are my patients, mm. um, people calling and leaving hour-long voicemails on my work phone. I've had to change my work phone like four different times. Like just things I did not it's, it's naive of me, but I didn't anticipate it. And then it got to be a safety concern for my patients. So I had to move offices. It, so it's been, and that's definitely shooed some people away, um, which is unfortunate. And then I've also had patients who find me because they think I can solve their problems because I'm on YouTube. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, therapy is about you solving your problems. I just help you figure that out, <laughs> you know? So there's definitely been some changes over the years where I went from a, a much larger practice to just like seven patients now. And actually almost six now once has like two sessions left and then we're kind of going to finish. But yeah, I, I do still, but probably not for that much longer, unfortunately, which I am kind of dreading. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a weird, it's a transition and I guess it'll be okay, but I could always pick it back up if I wanted to. It's just, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still figuring it out right. <laughs> myself. Cause I'm like, Oh, it feels icky, but, but I get it. It's, it's kind of like the move that needs to happen, I guess. Mm-hmm. The people who would show up were these young people. Like I think of YouTube mostly as teens. Is that not true? It's probably not true. No, it was not for my audience. I mean, mm-hmm. we definitely have teens. I'm not saying that my audience is all like older people, but by and large, my audience, they're adults. Mm-hmm. And these people, I mean, I don't know them. So I don't know, but I'd say late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. And one was definitely in her 50s, I would say, uh, which is kind of shocking. But I think, you know, when I talked about it, even in my own therapy, like trying to process, cause it was kind of scary. I'm not going to lie. It was kind of like a you know, when people think they found an answer or they found Mm -hmm. a resource, they want to make a go at that. And I understand that it's just like understanding healthy boundaries and safety and security of my patients and myself and the people I shared an office with. Cause then I was kind of like the office pariah where they're like, she has people showing up and like, this is kind of scary. And you know, it was, it was unfortunate. (laughs) So people who are showing up wanted you to be there to, Mm -hmm. to be their therapist. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's a little, it's just tricky. And what I do is is a weird thing, right? It's a little bit different. Not everybody understands like the nuances of it. So, so yeah, that was definitely a learning curve. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Lauren Kelly says, I've been watching her videos and find them very helpful. I'm sure her job can be heavy and stressful at times. What does she like to do for fun or to relax? Yeah, it it can be stressful. I feel like I'm in a lot of ways like built for it where I have very rigid boundaries around it. Like it doesn't, it, with quarantine, it's been a little trickier because you're working from home, which makes it kind of complicated. But yeah, it's it's easy for me to kind of turn off therapist Katie. Don't think that I'm like psychoanalyzing everybody in my life because that's exhausting. <laughs> um, but I do have tons of hobbies. So uh, everything from right now, quarantine's made things a little difficult. But my husband and I love to snowboard. If you've been following me for a long time, you know that we like Mammoth Mountain is like our jam. We go up there multiple times a year. We used to be season pass holders before all of this and we love it. Uh, mountain biking also. Uh, I, I make appointments. It sounds silly to call it that, but when, when you're older and your friends have kids and you have jobs, you have appointments with your friends, like mm-hmm. you set up dates. And so I make time for my girlfriends a lot. Like I, before COVID, probably like two or three date nights, like I'd go out to dinner, or grab a drink with some of them. And so that that was a really key part of my self-care. Um, I also practice yoga. I've been doing that for, oh God, like 15 years or so. Sometimes I forget that I'm as old as I am. I'm like, I'm 22. No, you're not. You have been doing this. You know what I mean? You have that yes. moment in your head where you're like, how long has that been? Oh, Jesus. So 24 yeah, is a- the age I always think I am in my head. Yes, me too. That's usually what it is like 24, (laughs) which is funny because that's when I met my husband. So maybe that's where I'm like, time is frozen. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But yeah, so yoga, uh, I just got back. I used to be part of a book club and would read a book every month and I got away from that. And so I'm getting back into that. I just read Where the Crawdads Sing. Cannot recommend it enough. I was going to say, I heard it's so good. I heard it because I follow you. Um, oh yes because instagram because i just finished it i love it i love it so yeah those are just some of the things and then you know we love to go camping and all that jazz and just trying to do to trying to figure out how to do that in covid the books and yoga have still continued but Mm -hmm. some of the other things have been a little bit more difficult right so outdoorsy I, I maybe it's because I grew up in the middle of nowhere. You had to like make make fun happen. Like right. no one was entertaining you. So yeah. Um, so I do a segment on my show called Just Me or Everyone, where people write in with things they think or do, and they wonder is it just me? Is it everyone? Ooh, I love this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, yes. I take them on Twitter. So if you want to send in your Just Me or Everyone, send it to at a r i y n b f. That's the show's Twitter feed. Use the hashtag uh, J M O E, and we have um, a little song. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. Let me I love just... your jingles. Thank you. Those are written by <laughs> a guy named Tom Rapp. He performs as Trap Dog. Uh, and he is great. Okay. Demian Cordova says... I often ask Alexa what the weather is like, but often don't pay attention to the answer and have to ask again. Um, My mother asks questions of people like that. Um, No, I don't have Alexa, so I don't (laughs) don't do that. But I do feel like I used to be really good at names, remember people's names. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes now I'll realize like the person I just asked the person's name or they just introduced themselves to me and like it didn't even go in. Oh, 100%. Why. Yeah. I, yeah, I do that too. And, and I'm, her- I'm horrible with names. And I always tell people, like, when I see people and they'll be like, Oh, we met at such and such. And I'm like, I am so sorry. I am horrible with names. It doesn't mean that you're not important to me. It's so nice to see you again. 
Like I'm just, you know, cause otherwise you feel like kind of a jerk. Cause I'm like, Oh crap. I don't remember, yeah. but I just don't remember. I don't pay attention. I don't know what it is. I'm always jumping to the next thing, which I know is a bad trait, but we don't have an Alexa either, but I do ask our Google home things sometimes mm-hmm. and I won't even listen. Or by the time I've asked it, I've already figured it out or something. Right. So, I, yes. I also do a thing where I actually do know the person's name, but then I suddenly doubt it. And I mm-hmm. feel like to, to like, Getting someone's name wrong, I feel like is worse than not knowing it. Yeah. I don't know it's if that's better to true. Ask. I don't know if it's true either, but I would feel bad too if their name is like Jeremy and you're like, hey, Jim. Yes. And they're like, no. And you're like, shit, I was so close. But, but so far, it's funny you said that your mom does that where she'll ask questions, but not really care for the answer. That was yeah. like, you were quick on that one. <laughs> I know I feel bad, but she does. She knows mm-hmm. she does this because she like she is always being like, I'm sorry. I know I asked you, but blah, 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 blah. And it's like, mm-hmm. why do you care? I mean, there's certain questions where she cares, but yeah. sorry, what did you say? Oh, I was saying she's multitasking. Yes. I would assume. And yeah, she's but, not very good at it. Her, But her the que- the questions where she does this are like. How was traffic? It's like something that doesn't affect her life at all. It's just making conversation, you know, and it's like, yeah, anyway. Um, okay. Funny. Laura Craycraft says, when you just mirror everyone, when you make eye contact with the support cashier at self checkouts, you wonder if they think you're doing something nefarious. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. That I that happens to me all the time where like you'll see like the little security guard at the door of something, an establishment. Yeah. And you like look at them and I always smile. And then I'm like, do they think I'm like, trying to be nice so they don't like arrest me or you know like but I'm not doing anything <laughs> right um I avoid self-checkout as much as I can I well I mean I haven't been to a store in months but in yeah, general and it's funny because when I was a kid I was like the coolest thing in the world would be to be able to like scan your own items oh, beep beep oh yeah. 100% yes and then now that I have the option I don't want to do it I think because I feel like something's going to go wrong and then I'm going to be stuck there forever waiting for, for a person to show up. I don't know. I don't That's love funny. it. funny. Oh, I, I love, I do them. I use the self checkout if really? I can, but in the past it's better now, but in the past when it like, I think it was like a newer thing, there's issues all the time. And to mm-hmm. your point, we would be stuck there trying to figure it out. And then someone else would have to come and then I have to get in the regular line and it just took way longer than it needed to. So yeah. I understand that. Um, Okay, this one came from my producer, I, T- Tony Thaxton. I really should do it on a show that he's on. Maybe I'll do it again. I never okay. care about the part of biographies or documentaries where they talk about their childhoods. Mm. See, if you were here, I'd say, does that go for my podcast too? Because I often ask people about their childhoods. Um, I, let me think. Do I, I know what he means. Like, I feel like oftentimes if it's something where you know something like juicy or mm-hmm. big happened when they're an adult. It's like, you just want to get to that part, you know? But I think I'm interested yeah. in the whole thing. I think I am too. Cause maybe it's that like instant gratification. Like you're talking about, like you just want to get to the goods. You're like, okay, enough about this. Blah, blah, blah. Right. But I'm always interested in where people came from. Cause I find it really fascinating. Like mm-hmm. recently my husband and I were watching that documentary about, uh, Carol Shelby. That created oh, the, must, the Mustang. Mustang Shelby. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea about his past and like where he came from before he became who we knew him as. Right. And so that was really interesting. And, and coming from like a really, he was, had nothing like super poor. He was a chicken farmer. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I guess it depends. But I, I think I'm always interested in the whole story. 
I'm also a therapist, so <laughs> of course that probably weighs in on that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chode to Joy says, I like to think I'm a competent adult, but I seriously just realized that Mad Libs is a play on ad libs. And oh. I just realized it upon reading You're Just Me or Everyone. Same, same, had no idea. There's always stuff like that. Yeah. Like somebody just said something the other day. I don't even remember what it was, you know, because my brain's that way. But they were like, I was this many years old when I realized insert thing. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. How did I not realize that? Was it that Central Perk is a play on Central Park? Because that took a long time for me to realize. Oh, no, it wasn't that one. But that's a good one, too. This was something more like Halloween based. And I was like, what? Oh, my God. And I just it didn't even occur to me. Yeah. Another so. one that I was real delayed on was uh, the song I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. I never realized that like she's kissing the dad who's dressed up as Santa Claus. I was just always like, why oh. is Santa Claus making out with mom? S Santa Claus gets around. Jeez. I always thought it was kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. That is funny. But that's something, right? You just don't think about it. Right. Um, okay. Leela Rolling Stone says, sometimes I bribe my, I have to bribe myself to get up in the morning uh, if you can get up and take a shower, you can go back to sleep for 12 minutes, go get your coffee and let the dog out. That's never another 11 minutes, but then end up having to sprint out the door. I, yes, I relate to that so much. I don't know what it is. Even like, I'll just get this. I don't like, I'm trying to figure out what triggers it because I will get just a wave of feeling tired and overwhelmed. And I'll be like, especially now that I'm stuck at home all the time, I'll be like, I'm just going to go get under the covers for like, 20 minutes or something. And I like, I do this multiple times throughout the day, but I think this is a little bit different than what she said. I think for me, it, there must be, I, I don't know if it's like when I have to make a decision or I don't know what it is, but something just like, I'm like a fainting goat. I'm like, I got to go. I got to be flat. <laughs> I'm going down. Yeah. I feel it. <laughs> That's funny. I, I am not a morning person. The funny thing is, is I remember, I think it was my mom, might have been my husband, was like, but you're not a night owl either. Like, I don't like to stay up till like three in the morning. I'm a sleep person mm -hmm. and I have make no, there's no shame in it. I just need a lot of sleep. I need like nine hours, which I know people are like, oh, but hey, no, that sounds great to me. It's amazing. And even then, sometimes like I could sleep more. So, you know, that's just so in the morning, I definitely bargain, but I bargain for more sleepy time. Mm -hmm. So I've gotten to the point where I know that I don't like to wake up multiple times because then I just feel more tired and I still don't, you know, it's like not helping me. But I set my alarm the last set, like, so I have to get up. Like, there's no negotiation. It's like right. your alarm went off. You have to be like on camera in like 30 minutes, get your shit to like, come on, Katie, get it together. This <laughs> is the time. And so I do, I definitely do that. So I, yeah, I, I feel that. <laughs> I have an on camera question. I mm -hmm. recently um, plugged in an old hard drive of mine and I found something Ooh. called like, you know, name of project self tape. And okay. it was me auditioning for a show. Uh, and I was going to say the name, but for, I've decided I'm not going to, but maybe I will <laughs> later. <laughs> okay. um, and I had put myself on tape for it and I, I clicked on it and I looked so tired and so like not into it. And I mean, I watched it and I was like, no wonder I didn't get the gig. Like I looked like, <laughs> and I, I could sort of remember I think my attitude was like, I just have to turn something in. Not like there was oh. no joy. There was no sparkle, no anything. 
Um, and I've just been thinking about that lately about how I need to always make sure that I like turn it on if I'm going to be mm-hmm. on camera. And for something like the podcast, that's different because again, youtube.com slash Allison Rose and see whether I turned it on. Uh, I feel like that's different <laughs> because it's, you know, it's a, it's a, the video of an audio show um, that also is a, you know, sparkling video, but I don't know. I was just shocked. I was shocked to see that because I don't think of myself that way on camera. I think of myself as good on camera. Do mm-hmm. you <laughs> honestly, usually I do. So I was surprised to see that I could be that like dead. Um, do you, if you have to be on camera, but you're not feeling like doing it right then, how do you handle that? I, it's self-talk, I guess. I mean, back in the day, it depends on also if things are due, right? Like if a video needs to be filmed because we have to put it out, mm-hmm. then I don't, there's no bargaining. Um, but back in the day, if I was like not feeling it, I, I would be like, I don't, I don't want to. And Sean would be like, okay, we'll do it tomorrow. And then we do it tomorrow, you know? But right. I found that by doing that, I was like almost training my brain to be like, filming's bad. Mm. You don't like it. You, sh- you know, and so I'd always want to put it off like all the time. And so finally one day I was like, I'm just going to do it. I have to just, just, buck up. This is what you signed up to do. So fucking do it. Like stop complaining. And it's gotten better. But there are, I do find that I'm not as good in the morning. So I usually don't film Mm -hmm. or do much like early on in the day. I'm like a a noon and later kind of person. 11am is fine. I'll be honest. But like, you know, I try to just do things later on because I I catch my stride around like one to three, four Mm pm you know, like that's when I'm like, I'm, I'm jiving and it's fine. But I, yeah, I mean, I I try not to do things when I don't feel like it. Right. But it's hard. I mean, also, I used to do videos back when I was doing five a, a week. Like, if I came back from yoga and, like, had showered, I wouldn't put makeup on. Just be like, hey, guys, blah, blah, blah. Like, that's a big mistake. What were you doing? But <laughs> but YouTube's a little bit more forgiving, right? It, it's kind of like, you're just with me all to, all day. And blah, blah, right. blah. it feels very in intimate and in my space. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, I don't like to watch myself after the fact either so the fact that you even clicked on that and watched it i like i don't like to even so a video that went up like last week i'd be like mm, no it just feels it, weird it was from so long ago that i didn't mind because i was just curious yeah. about it um yeah it was just a shock though because i think i had it in my head that like anytime i'm on camera it's probably good. I mean, it sounds like I have like a huge <laughs> ego and I don't No, but I know what you mean. You know like, what I mean? I prepared. just I didn't, I didn't realize that like I could do a whole thing and it, it could just be so like it really I'm just like did I even watch it before I turned it? <laughs> it was so bad. It was Maybe so you bad. You just blocked it from your memory. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I really wish I hope my agent didn't turn it in. I think she did though. Anyway. Yeah, um it happens. Yeah. I think I just had an attitude of like, okay, I just, I got to get it in by this time. And I forgot to like talk myself into like, and this is something that you want and this is fun. Yeah. Yeah, And it is, it's true. It's also tricky to be on and perfect all the time in general. Mm -hmm. Like I've definitely done some interviews on live news where it is like not my best or like I'll, I'll be like, Oh, like I'll say something out of order where they're Mm -hmm. like, what are the stages of, I don't even know, stages of grief or something. And I'm like depression. I'm like, Oh wait, no, the first, like I'm just off. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that was a piece of shit. That's a turd, (laughs) but whatever, you know, move on next thing. 
That being said, I've also had experiences where I think something is bad and then I watch it or listen to it and it's fine. That's why yeah. this one really betrayed me. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, this was a steaming turd. Um, Katie Morton, it was so nice getting to know you more, having you on the show. I wish you weren't moving. Even though we're not in person, I still wish you weren't moving. Um, I feel abandoned. And <laughs> I'm um, sorry. We'll, we'll work through it. Don't worry. <laughs> when are you going? Or are uh, you not revealing We don't that? know yet. We don't know yet. We're going next week um, to look at houses. And then if we find something that we love, then in a month or two, you know, but but I'll still come to Los Angeles. We can still hang out okay. once COVID is, is a, a thing of the past. Yeah. And we can still do, uh, do Zoom-y stuff. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So uh, tell everyone where to find you, what to look out for, plug your stuff. Yeah, all of my socials are all Katie Morton, K-A-T-I-M-O-R-T-O-N. My YouTube channel is the same name. If you're looking for my podcasts, they're Ask Katie Anything and Opinions That Don't Matter. Opinions That Don't Matter is just my husband and I shooting the shit. So if you want something lighthearted, kind of a distraction, that's where you go for that. And yeah, come hang out. Join the community. We're very friendly, very nice. And we have a no tolerance policy for trolls. So don't worry. We'll keep you safe. And if you like what you're hearing, um, make sure you're subscribed, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen, and also um, subscribe to my podcast and make sure that you, um, I was going to say make sure you're subscribed, but I already started to say that. See, my brain is like somewhere else. Download, <laughs> tell your friends, um, click five stars, leave a nice comment that helps out the show so much. Uh, you can get it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Also listen to my Parenting-ish podcast that I do with Greg Fitzsimmons. That one's called Childish. Follow me on social media at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. And again, I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Special promo right now where you can do an annual membership and you get two months free. I'm also on Cameo, cameo.com slash Allison Rosen. Thank you guys so much for listening. Katie, thank you again. Listeners, I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know and Rose and Show. We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Alice and Rose is your new best friend.